Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. I'm Kellen Walker with Automotive News. On today's show, Our Next Energy plans a big new battery plant in Michigan. More EV sales are heating up the battle over road weight limits. And should automakers pull their legacy combustion businesses as EVs take off? Plus, economic uncertainty is changing the game for venture capitalists looking to invest in the auto industry. We'll hear from Assembly Ventures co-founder Chris Thomas about what it means specifically for investing in green technologies. I, for one, from an energy policy, am sometimes asked, you know, Chris, should we go all to EV today? And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, should we go all to green energy today? Absolutely not. Should we work toward building technologies that allow us to be self-sufficient and that allow us to have more options and, and that we can go to places that we have less, you know, kind of environmental impact? Absolutely. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Our Next Energy will spend $1.6 billion on a new battery cell plant in suburban Detroit. Company officials said today it will begin production of lithium iron phosphate cell and battery packs in 2024. Known as One, the company signed a multi-year lease for a newly constructed almost 700,000 square foot building in the Van Buren Township. That's about 25 miles west of downtown Detroit. It plans to convert the building into its first battery cell plant beginning in January 2023. One plans to employ more than 2,000 people at the plant, dubbed One Circle. The factory will have an annual capacity of 20 gigawatt hours. That's enough to build about 200,000 battery packs a year. One thing about all those new batteries, they're heavy. EVs weigh significantly more than gas-fueled cars, and that creates some big logistical challenges, including how to transport those new EVs in the first place. Car haulers are pushing the Biden administration and lawmakers to increase truck weight limits on U.S. highways so they can transport more heavy electric vehicles. Car haulers say that if decades-old U.S. road weight limits are not increased, it could slow deliveries and increased costs, putting at risk this historic bet on zero-emission vehicles. The rail industry and safety advocates fiercely oppose raising weight limits. They say the heavier loads are significantly more dangerous. The U.S. Department of Transportation declined to say whether it supports or opposes lifting weight limits on car haulers. It notes that the ultimate decision lies with Congress. Another big question in the electrification era, what should automakers do about their legacy internal combustion businesses? Powertrain unit, Bay says they should consolidate those businesses. Bay is a venture between Volvo Cars and parent company Geely Holdings Group that was finalized this summer. CEO of the venture's Swedish branch, Michael Fleiss, says Bundling non-electric assets would help to improve hybrid combustion technology and add scale to save cost. And Tesla says it will remove ultrasonic sensors from its vehicles starting this month. That's as it moves ahead with using only cameras in its safety and driver assistant features. Tesla vehicles now have 12 ultrasonic sensors on the front and rear bumpers. Short-range sound sensors are mainly used in parking applications and to detect close objects. CEO Elon Musk has said Tesla can achieve full autonomy with cameras only. 
but he has missed his targets to roll out self-driving taxis. The automaker faces growing regulatory, legal, and public scrutiny over its so-called autopilot system following crashes. Tesla says it will remove ultrasonic sensors from the Model 3 and Model Y globally over the next few months, followed by the Model S and Model X next year. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, how should investors approach green technology? We'll hear from Assembly Ventures co-founder Chris Thomas next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Michael Dunn, son of legendary car spy Jim Dunn, and I'm also the host of the Driving with Dunn podcast. Over the last 26 years, I've founded two companies, became president of GM Indonesia, and I was featured on 60 Minutes. Today, I run Zozo Go, a global market intelligence company with deep expertise in electrics and autonomous cars. Driving with Dunn is going on 80 episodes. Our guests include Henrik Fisker. We're gonna modernize the Pope Mobile. Linda Zhang, chief engineer of the F-150 Lightning, and many more. You can listen at zozogo.com or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Daily Drive, I'm Kellen Walker. It's tough out there right now for anyone looking to make a bet on which tech startup might become the next Tesla. And economic volatility isn't making things any easier. On Shift, a podcast about mobility, our own Pete Bigelow caught up with Assembly Ventures co-founder Chris Thomas about his company's portfolio and what he's looking for in companies that hope to make an impact on green tech. Here's a piece of their conversation. How short-term versus long-term do you, do you think of the investments you're making in terms of there needs to be a pipeline today, there needs to be a ROI in a, I don't know what you define as the near term, but uh, you know, how far away are you looking versus uh, how real world does something have to be today? No, it's a good question. I, we, we are looking through the lens of, of any, anyone that's in the business I'm in. You know, People want to ensure that you're going out you're working incredibly hard, you're growing value, and you're finding a way to, you know, to monetize that value. So that's going to be over, you know, on average, that's between four and six years. Um, you know, sometimes it's much sooner, sometimes it's much later. But what I will say is I think there's a, traditionally, there's been um, a bit of a, if this isn't a software SaaS model, it's not for me, kind of mindset within, within kind of technology investors. We are very much not that. Um, I, I think that if you're solving a hard problem and you're truly solving it and it has a hardware component, that's a great thing because you've just solved something that's incredibly difficult and that there's likely going to be a big market behind. So we're looking for all the major things that you're looking at. But our next energy is a great example, I think, of a business that, you know, it's, it's very early days um, was while well, we, you know, we invested alongside Breakthrough Energy Ventures and BMW and, and Flex and, and we, you know, Kotu has come in. It's an amazing group that's there. But for that initial round of investors, there was a lot of like, okay, you know, can, as it always is with young companies, can this actually scale? Can this become something? But I think Mujib, the CEO and his team, it speaks volumes to the vision they've had. And then when we see kind of from a regulatory environment, there being more of a focus on domestic supply chain for battery and for production for battery, which I absolutely agree with as it relates both to national security and how do we think about, you know, not trading one dependency for another. Um, I think these are things that we are willing to take those those maybe somewhat longer term bets, but in our opinion, likely with much greater payout, um, but that also have a real systemic impact. 
with how we're doing this and what we're doing. And so I, I for one, from an energy policy, I'm sometimes asked, you know, Chris, should we go all to EV today? And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, should we go all to green energy today? Absolutely not. Should we work toward building technologies that allow us to be self-sufficient and that allow us to have more options and, and that we can go to places that we have less, you know, kind of environmental impact? Absolutely. But the idea that we cut off our nose to spite our face, um, that just can't be. And so it's it's a dynamic approach that we kind of look at it through that lens. How much of your your thoughts and view on on energy policy comes from the time you spent serving overseas? I maybe more than maybe people realize. It's a question I don't get very often, Pete. It's an astute question from you. I mean, I think when we think about where are we going as a nation, or where's the state of Michigan going to kind of make this very personal to those of us that are here? Where's the where's the industrial Midwest going? If we were to try to go completely off fossil fuels today, it would be Armageddon. There's no way for us to supply the needs of kind of the American family in an economic way um, to kind of move completely off of those, like, you know, right now. But should we actually have a transition approach? Should we be using all of our resources to make sure that we're getting to a place where we're completely energy independent, where we have the, the chemistries necessary to drive the future of our, of our, you know, of our automobiles and or every, any type of heavy industry? I think the answer is absolutely. And there's a little bit, I think, that came out of my experience in the US Army during the Iraqi war, because there is, you know, why do we fight wars and how do we mitigate them? How do we how do we solve problems before they become problems? I think that those are questions that go into my mind a lot when I think about things like energy policy. So to bring that back to our next energy now, and you mentioned the battery chemistry that they use lithium iron phosphate, uh, which is different than what we're seeing today. Uh, how much of the availability of raw materials kind of plays into why you think they'll be successful in the long term and, and you know, the chemistry that they're picking? I think it's availability of raw materials is a huge input in my mind as to why this, why this is something that's going to be really exciting and, and successful. I think the innovative nature with which Majeev and the team have looked at differentiated chemistry compositions and what are some sacrifices we can make to get more energy in other ways, especially with a hybrid kind of composite where you have, and to bring this back, you know, you have your daily driver, you have one part of the battery, let's say one half the battery, or maybe up to 60, 75% that produces, you know, upwards of, you know, 100, 150, 200 miles on one charge that has a huge cycle life. You can use that, you know, 10,000 plus. And then you have another component of that pack with, with chemistry that actually has, you know, high, high energy densities, also high cost, um, which has a much lower cycle life, but you're only using it 2% of the time you use that vehicle. I think those are the things that I get excited about. There's an innovation, innovative approach as to, as to how that's being put together. Um, but I think when you step back, as it relates to, to Arctic Energy, there just has to be a focus on not trading dependencies. We can't trade a dependency on the Middle East for, for Petro to a dependency on Southeast Asia for battery tech. We have the ability, we have the capability, we have, in my opinion, the responsibility to do all this in the United States and with our allies in the West. There is no reason why we can't do that in a way that actually moves the needle in a way you know, to the, to the direction where everyone's excited about, both in terms of energy supply and decreased environmental impact. We, we can have our cake and eat it too in this instance. We just have to be willing to actually you know, take do a marathon here. This isn't a sprint. 
anyone who's selling kind of snake oil approaches here that you know you can solve something in one fell swoop it's just not true chris does the inflation reduction act provide a long-term moving of that needle or does that uh sound in your mind more like a concern that it's a little too get rich quick i think the inflation reduction act is in fact focused on the wrong things if we if we from a very thoughtful matter if we step back and say what are the most important things we have to do now when it comes to energy policy manufacturing policy forward going jobs creation in the united states and a true kind of upgrading of our overall infrastructure in a way in which is both both focused on historic brick and mortar systems and things we need to fix and upgrade in real ways but also technology enablement uh, as a part of that package i think that that is it's very much a package that's been put forward for through a political lens rather than how do we actually impact these things that we care about and the people we care about from that perspective and i don't say that from a political kind of view one way or the other i just say it from a very kind of honest perspective of what are we doing and why are we doing it and we need to be we need to be making sure we're we're taking federal policy in this instance in, but state policy in other instances that are moving the ball forward for all of us and i think sometimes that that goal is lost through a desire for for kind of quick wins that can be marketed rather than long-term success um, through, as other nations around the world you know are very focused on what's our 100-year plan what is our 100-year plan I, I don't think many people could speak to that in a way in which you know frankly i think we should be able to so I feel like at least the intent of the IRA is to to accelerate the moving of the needle toward that onshoring of the uh, you know battery supply chain, it, at least one key plank of it. Even before that, you said you saw this bifurcation of the supply chains happening uh, a long time ago. What was it that you saw when everybody else thought that the supply chains were were fine to stay where they were? If we go way back, I think we look back to 94 with, you know, WTO, when we first let the Chinese kind of come in, and there was a widespread belief amongst every realm, whether it be governmental, intelligence community, academia, business, that the Chinese would become amazing consumers, the Chinese would bend toward, uh, toward democracy, and it would, this would become kind of the national extension of the West in the way that we've seen other nations in Southeast Asia kind of, you know, kind of come into this, into this fold, could not have been more wrong, you know, could not have been just more incorrect with the direction of where that was going to go, especially within the current regime uh, in Beijing. But, but with that said, I think there is this, there's always been this underlying belief in my mind that we were two very different systems. And this has come from visits that I had the, the privilege of taking to China, while, you know, while I was still in business school, engaging with friends around the world, looking at just from a geopolitical perspective where things were going. And to your point, like when we first put this thesis forward, myself and my partners, um, it was not embraced. You know, it was one that was challenged and that's okay. I, I like, I think that's important that we challenge these things in very honest ways using data and using what we have, but it, it has turned out to be spot on. And it was one that was really just driven by, I think by the underlying culture, underlying you know, beliefs and what it is, are, what, are, what are our underlying values when it comes to do we want a social scoring system in the United States or in the West for people to have the right to utilize a train or to rent a car? Um, the answer is no. Uh, do I want to have amazing neighbors who I can look out for and know that and I can know they're looking out for me? The answer is yes. 
rather than kind of you know ratting me out. Um, <laughs> and I so I think like I, I think like these are these are maybe some are very direct to mobility, automotive, industrial policy, manufacturing. Others are more just like gleaning what is happening there and why is it that it just doesn't feel right. Um, but it's been something that's built over the last you know over the course of my career, which has kind of evolved into our thesis today. Chris Thomas is co-founder of Assembly Ventures. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow. You can hear their full conversation on the latest episode of Shift, a podcast about mobility, on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on venture capital, electrification, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.